Uh, so before we start, I just have one couple of comments. You know, coming from IIT, we are one of the premier institutes and we are the cream of the society. And we have some of the greatest mottos. And uh, I hope we all can, those are the ideas that we uh, intend to live by. So I'll just quote two of them that uh, I know at the top of my head, one from my uh, alma mater, IIT Bombay. It says, Gyanam Paramam Dhyayam, which is knowledge is the supreme goal. So in this session, we are trying to gain as much knowledge as possible, try to understand the problem. Uh, Rajiv ji has put in a lot of effort into this and Vijay ji has put in a lot of effort into this. They have brought in a lot of information. And uh, like Sponge, we just need to absorb as much as we can so we can see what we can do after that. The other motto I'm going to quote is from uh, IIT Madras. It says, Siddhir Bhavati Karmaja, which means success is born out of action. What that means is uh, basically we need to take an action on it and there are many different types of things. Now, Rajiji has put in a lot of effort into this. They're spending a lot of time, money, and resources into this. So if we can help Rajivji in any possible way, so he can help us. So I think that'll be the that that'll be one of the significant actions that we can do. And uh, and any other actions that are going to follow up, we're going to work uh, further on that. All right, with this, uh, let us start the session. So Rajivji, please, uh, to you. I have to say that, uh... I have known this problem for a while uh, that we've written in this book about the attack on IIT. The, uh, the original the attack is on meritocracy. Uh, the concept of meritocracy is being seen as something which uh, aristocratic people build up over generations because of privilege. So the argument would be like, you know, if somebody is rich or somebody is a capitalist, he owns the means of economic production, so he got more money than the workers who work there. And therefore, he, has, he can offer his kids a better coaching, better you know, etiquette, better language skills, better all kinds of things. And this, uh, this uh, turns into cultural superiority, uh, sophistication, but actually it's a form of capital because they can use it. They recognize each other who are privileged by their table manners, by the way they shake hands, by the clubs they join. Which, which where they are members. So all the aristocrats have built up this kind of a hidden capital, a hidden sort of uh, uh, structures that uh, give them privilege. And these are used to oppress other people who are downtrodden, uh, who don't have access to these things. So, so therefore, uh, the, the, this business of meritocracy is also kind of a sham uh, because, you know, when you say it's meritocracy, often, often it is... Uh, your cultural sophistication, your aristocracy, and even the way questions are framed, they maybe the uh, the underclass won't even understand them. Uh, maybe they don't have access to the same coaching. A lot of these reasons are given. So the attack on meritocracy has been going on before, uh, before attack on IIT. And then uh, IIT, this Ajanta Subramaniam wrote an article in 2015, and that means like eight years ago, seven, seven eight years ago. And then the book on in 2018 or 19 or something that also has been three years. So I, I basically used to go to my friends in the Princeton area. Some of them are worth hundreds of millions of dollars, IATNs, and celebrated and big, very, you know, very pompous and very kind of proud and all, which is good, which is all very good. But every time I would raise this issue uh, informally as a friend that, hey, listen, IIT is facing all this. What about it? They would change the topic. They didn't want to deal with it. They would say, maybe those guys are right. Maybe we have a problem. Kind of. And then I would, then I started formalizing the study of wokeism 
to say that this is a product of wokeism, but many of them are actually funding the political candidates in the US who are Indian, who are wokeists. So, you know, it was very difficult uh, for me to uh, convince many of them or any of them, I would say. Uh, and they're all Pan-IITians in high standing. And I don't want to mention names because they are friends also. And I don't think it's a problem limited to uh, people in the Princeton area. It's a problem I found everywhere. So this is why when we were doing this book, Snakes in the Ganga, uh, talking about a broad range of uh, breaking India forces, how they are how they're taking using wokeism, artificial intelligence, big data, uh, dismantling, uh, you know, using multilateral organizations like UN, uh, World Bank or World Economic Forum, and basically dismantling traditions, dismantling nation states, dismantling our, and we are a main target. Hinduism is a main target, India is a main target. Uh, why isn't China the main target? Because China knows the game and China has reversed the game playing the game offensively against the United States and not letting the United States get into China uh, internally. Uh, uh, so you can you can see that those countries that have understood this uh, before uh, have uh, defended themselves and turned it into an offense in, uh, game against others. Whereas India is still bumbling around. Uh, you know, the government uh, didn't uh, do much about it. I mean, the I've talked to some consulates here and there, consul generals. I've talked to the external affairs people. Uh, I've been to the Foreign Service Institute, which is in Delhi near JNU and given talks. Not found too much traction. They all like it. They're all very hospitable. They're very decent, very nice. But at the end of the day, there's no follow-up. There's no follow-up that you feel that you can actually make an impact there. So after going around, talking to a whole lot of people, and also our activists, I must be very honest with you. Uh, some of them are here, but I will be very honest with you. They're also obsolete. They're just copy-pasting. What was done in the Breaking India book a dozen years ago, they're just still copy-pasting and putting the same thing out there as their own. They're more interested in becoming famous quickly that they've done all this work. But they haven't really gone into the new stuff. That is what this book is doing. They haven't gone into the new stuff except maybe uh, one data point here, one data point there. But that's not enough. You have to put all the data points together. You have to make a very comprehensive thesis. you got to go beneath the surface, understand what's going on, which is what... Vijay and I did. So now, because I didn't want to spend too much time on the history before this book. When the book came out, we got good traction in India for the first time, I must say. We got very good traction. We're going back in February because so many invites there. Uh, and uh, the, the, uh, the, the allegations we're making about, uh, against Harvard, especially the centers funded by Indian billionaires, we have heard no response from them, neither from Harvard nor from the billionaires. In fact, uh, Harvard, uh, there's one very eminent professor. Uh, he's a Jesuit. He's a senior most uh, in the Divinity School, Francis Clooney, expert on Hinduism. I had a very nice in event at Harvard which uh, where he was the pro protagonist and he supported me, in fact. So, uh, but the social sciences people and liberal arts people and South Asian studies people, those are the guys that are the real problems and they're sort of silent. Now, recently, what has happened is we've started getting attacks, not from the real big shots, but their underlings. So they put somebody asked uh, uh, Devdat Patnaik to write some article against us, and he put it out there. Uh, somebody asked this one very junior person, uh, you know, a Westerner, uh, and somebody asked some Indian. So some junior people are beginning to hit out. I mean, these are the small snakes that are putting their head up and hissing and trying to 
bite. But the real big ones haven't shown up yet. So that is the state of play. We decided that we have limited time to build traction on our side, to educate our people, get tens of thousands of books out there. We've got, the book is out there, 30,000 copies printed out there. Uh, and then, you know, e-books e e available, Kindle and all that. So it's very important that a lot of people get this. A lot of people get a copy of the book. A lot of people understand the message and start talking about it. So this has all happened without just limiting it to IIT. Rajiv, just give a brief, I don't know how many of us, how many of these people know about the uh, uh, summary of the book, of the IIT issue, if you can just uh, talk about it in like an elevator pitch as to what's going on. Yeah, yeah. no, no, I, 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 I just was about to start saying that this is a general overview, but let me now focus on, zoom in on IIT. So as far as I, now I'll talk about IIT, this is just to kind of give you a general background. Yeah, so IIT, uh, basically, there is a, there is a theoretical foundation being discussed first on what is wokeism, what is postmodernism, Marxism, critical race theory, critical caste theory, and a whole mapping of caste as race. We've got a whole chapter on that and who did it in the United States, how it's become a very common thing from Oprah Winfrey to New York Times bestseller, all of that we've done. And then how there is this Afro-Dalit movement where the black, the Dalits are considered calling themselves, being asked, Dalits are being tutored to call themselves the Blacks of India and to call the non-Dalits as the Whites of India and to accuse India of being a racist society in the American sense. And then there is this whole uh, equality labs. We've got chapters on every one of them. Every one of the things I've just mentioned is separate, separate chapters. And that's why it's a big book. And so equality labs started this movement I've known this Sondare Rajan, ran into her 10 years ago, you know, at Columbia University. I knew that some academic people in the, in the West, uh, white guys, scholars of uh, Hinduism, were really tutoring her, mentoring her to become like a vicious person. And she attacked me personally uh, in uh, public uh, gatherings, like one at Columbia University. We have that on videotape also. Uh, so this, this had went on many years ago. So I know about her and she knows about us. So this Equality Lab, which is what she started, uh, has been, uh, uh, you know, at the front front of uh, do, uh, gathering data, claiming that they are proving, they are proving that uh, casteism exists in the United States, in organizations, in Silicon Valley, in universities, in uh, governments, and it is a form of racism. And uh, the U.S. racist race racism laws should be applied to casteists. And uh, HR department should have a caste sensitivity workshop, uh, 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 you know, and anyone, any lower caste person who accuses should be given the same treatment as blacks in terms of benefit of doubt, protected class. These are very legal terms, protected class. If you're designated protected class, there are many things that happen in the law, American law. Uh, you know, for example, if you can apply for Khalistanis in Canada, I just want to digress for and tell you Khalistanis in Canada are eligible to apply for refugee status on the basis that Sikhs in the uh, Sikhs in Punjab are being persecuted and they are, their life is in danger. All that is nonsense because actually the Sikh Jats are one, among the most prosperous farmers in India and the Khalistanis are mostly Jats, they're peasants. And so, but they've created this political category called protected class for themselves. And the protected class category was originally developed for Native Americans and Blacks, but they applied it to them. And therefore, there is a whole accelerated track to get into Canada as a refugee. 
uh, under some amnesty. And so this is a, there's business in it. Lawyers are doing this uh, for their clients. So now if the Dalits were declared a protected class, which is what the game is, their, their end game is, then it would any Dalit in India would be able to go to the embassy and say, I'm a Dalit, my life is in danger, and blah, blah, blah. And the, he will be on a fast track to get into some kind of refugee, like Rohingyas, like uh, Tibetan, Tibetan people are, have a refugee status. So, so once the law recognizes certain community as protected class, then they have all these privileges. Also, you cannot, you cannot criticize them. You cannot attack them. They'll, they'll come after you. Uh, the benefit of doubt is given to them. And, and you can be canceled. You can be canceled because when you, even if you raise your voice, you can be, or ask good questions, you can be canceled. So there is this whole cancel culture as part of this. Now, I started getting uh, emails from uh, Indians, unsolicited whom Indians I don't even know, from uh, Google, from uh, mainly from, first I got from Microsoft, then I got from Facebook, then I started getting from Google, saying that there is this kind of thing happening inside their company. They want to know where to go. They have, some of them talked to the, tried to talk to the Indian consul general. He didn't know too much. Uh, they've talked to some gurus and some temples. They didn't know too much. So they, they didn't know where to go. And certainly with the, with the IIT, Pan-IIT not adopting it as a problem that they take ownership to do something, these young uh, tech people had nowhere to go. So ask, asking me to do something. So I asked them, whenever something is going on, you give me a report. And some, one of them from, uh, face, from uh, uh, Microsoft said, that she sat in on a top level market, a top level executive briefing workshop on cast, uh, cast, and it was given by Equality Labs. Uh, and Satya Nadella was sitting there, and this lady near was sitting there. A lot of white people there, a lot of Indians there, and they were going on and on talking about this casteism. And she felt very insulted. She said it was all wrong. It was all exaggerated. But Satya Nadella didn't say a word. He just sat quietly. And then he quietly left at the end. And later, this lady asked some HR people saying, you know, wasn't there any chance for Q&A? She was told off the record that for your own sake, do not raise your hand, do not argue, because then you'll be considered a racist. You just quietly sit, listen, put up with it, follow it, and then just leave. Don't say anything. So she says that I felt very bad. Why, why can't we say anything? Why, what is this going on? So I started hearing this from many people, uh, then from Facebook people also. Uh, so I made some little group, secret groups with some people in these organizations. They don't want to show their hand. Many of them are IITians. I would say quite a lot of them are. So this has been going on. And uh, uh, so the, the, uh, the attack on IIT directly uh, happened with uh, a book by Ajanta Subramaniam, a Harvard professor uh, called The Cast of Merit, where she argues that uh, meritocracy is a caste construct. It is a casteist structure, the, what we call meritocracy. So we are very proud of meritocracy. We are very proud that IIT is, uh, you know, everybody from any caste can come, doesn't matter, nobody knows whose caste it is. It's all based on merit. And then in Silicon Valley and elsewhere, the Indians are uh, hiring, firing people based on merit and H1B is on merit. So all of this is subject to now reinterpretation. There's even a move to uh, change the H-1B criteria. So when you go to the U.S. Embassy, you'll be asked about your caste. And just like quota system, you know, if you're a Brahmin, maybe you won't get in or maybe it will be very limited. So this is pretty serious stuff. And I figured that the time has come for IITians to stand up and do something. I mean, you know, 
Vijay and I put our own money in. We put in a lot. I mean, I've been running this for 30 years. Vijay has now joined me. So we are both in this. And we, we haven't received one, <laughs> one penny worth of support from people that we thought should support us. I'm not here to solicit anything. I, I think I'm here to build bridges and to spread awareness and to win hearts, win friends. That's what I want is to win friends. Uh, then, of course, we'll worry later about what kind of support people might give us. But I, I just wanted to say all this so that you know that it's A, it's a very serious problem. B, it's been getting worse and worse, now accelerating. Uh, C, it is something that the uh, IITians haven't done anything about. D, we have worked very hard and we produce this book, but, but we have a lot more to do. Uh, we, are, we are also producing another book, which will be only IIT. It'll be like maybe 150 pages, just focusing on the IIT issue. And uh, the idea being that that should be translated into Hindi and other languages, because a lot of these engineering people are not English speaking primarily. And this should be in tens of thousands of copies given to uh, every engineering college, every engineering student, not just to the libraries, but to students. Because if the student, if the student after graduating, when they go somewhere, they're going to be told, hey, you are a casteist or whatever, they ought to at least be informed that this is what people think, how to respond. So we are not only, uh, uh, we are not only telling what the problem is. Chapter six of this book is 100 pages, which is our history of Varna, Jati, uh, you know, the fluidity of this system and how the system was shaped partly during the Mughal, Empire, Mughal rule, partly during the British rule, partly after independence, how these things have happened, how it is not Hindu per se, uh, you know, it is not a Hindu problem per se. So I have, we have given a hundred page response. So it has, it is like a toolkit uh, using that you can come up with arguments in re response to what you hear. Because one of the things that a lot of the young tech people told me uh, when they were briefing me on this problem in the last two, three years, they were saying that when, when we are sitting around and they ask us, uh, they make a statement, we don't have knowledge on what to say. Uh, we don't have a toolkit. They have a toolkit and they come briefed and prepared and they know what are the five things to say to bring us down. We don't have any five things to say how to respond. So this is partly what we are doing. What Vijay and I are doing is, is developing something which is for not only telling people what is going on, what, which is what I just summarized, but also a toolkit how to answer back. Uh, what are some holes in the other side's arguments? What is their big game plan? Uh, you know, what are they trying to achieve and how it's going to be harmful to us? So that is... That is sort of a kind of a generic introduction I've given. So now I'll invite uh, Vijaya to add to this, please. Vijaya, so you take yeah, it forward. Um, this attack on the IIT is, um, is going to affect uh, everybody. It's just not the IIT. IIT is sort of the canary in the coal mine. Um, very soon we will see other institutions also uh, getting affected and education at large engineering education at large. Uh, enge engineering education in India is being uh, studied uh, by Western social scientists. Um, and uh, one of the, uh, you know, obvious, in the name of uh, uh, equity and all of that, one of the obvious intentions seems to be how um, they can try and dismantle it. So you have Harvard's Ajanta Subramaniam, who's become the dismantler in chief, so to speak. Now, how is it affecting, you know, there are real world problems for all of us. 
whether you're in the IIT or not. So you have uh, one effect. If you go on the uh, right-hand side top quadrant, you'll see dismantling the IITs as one of the uh, uh, things on the agenda. Then you have India's Chief Justice. We did a whole series of videos talking about how merit itself needs to be redefined. He, in fact, quotes Sajanta Subramaniam and says, uh, we need to use critical caste theory and things like that, and intersectionality and Ajanta Subramaniam's work to see if the JEE, in fact, is the is a good measure should we uh, should examination entrance examinations um, be a criteria and if uh, merit needs to be redefined what exactly is merit and he also essentially is saying that merit is caste capital and IIT essentially is the apparatus that takes merit that you you guys have all inherited somehow uh, there is no mention of your hard work or your tapas or uh, <laughs> any of that it so IIT essentially is this uh, machinery which takes this caste capital converts it into another form of capital that you guys have all used to bring it overseas and then you know to trade it so it's like a currency like how you convert rupees to dollars you've converted caste capital to merit and that merit you're using to get ahead in the world for you yourselves and your families and your near and dear ones so that's essentially and IIT does this so India India's chief justice uh, supreme court chief justice is already talking about this yeah, and how do we change the uh, IITs? How do we change the criteria of entrance into IITs? How do we um, look at the, the professors that are teaching the, in the IITs? Now, uh, further down, if you go to the um, lower quadrant on the right-hand side, you'll see that the Lakshmi Mittal um, Family Institute South Asia Studies, where Ajanta Subramaniam's work is also supported, uh, there's a guy called Tarun Kanna. I, he's an engineer. I'm assuming he's a he, he he's a director of the Lakshmi Mittal Institute. Uh, perhaps also an IIT, and I'm not sure. But he conducted a Shanghai meritocracy workshop where they talk about. And this happened in China, where the Chinese talked about meritocracy in China, and Indians from Ashoka University and Harvard talked about meritocracy in India and how it is a sham, and how it needs to be redefined. Whereas the, the Chinese were very proud about meritocracy in their country and history of meritocracy, and you know they because they're not going to put up with this. So you see that even China is using this um, as uh, as a tool. You know, these are, so like how you use TikTok, you can use these kinds of tools these days. This is the warfare of today. So the, so Harvard's doing this thing, and uh, Harvard's ideas on meritocracy is already got into Ashoka University, and there are scholars developing these ideas further and spreading these ideas further. So that's one side. And of course, you have on the third side, equality labs. Uh, you have the Cisco case, uh, caste as a protected category that Rajivji talked about, caste census being taken, uh, caste sensitivity training that you guys have to undergo in your corporate lives. And, um, you know, and there are anti-caste rallies. So you think, uh, okay, you're going to pretend at work and sort of get by. It's, uh, it's coming to your children as well. So uh, children are being uh, children in colleges uh, in in like UPenn and places like that are being act are told to be allies. So the gone are the days where you can just virtue signal and say yeah 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 we've all been terrible and let's move on and you know we need diversity. But it's coming. Uh, you know there are these uh, caste training caste sensitivity training require more out of you. They require you to be an ally, which means actively participating in. Um, being an ally means actively participating in the advocacy of, uh, you know, these caste uh, sensitivity ideas. So your children are told that, uh, okay, if you want to be an ally, you need to reject your parents because your parents are casteists and you need to actually, that's how you become an ally. 
So these are, you know, it's coming home to bite all of us if we keep quiet. Because I think uh, uh, Indians have just sort of been quiet and don't want to be in controversy. But I think the time has come where you really have to choose sooner or later. The sooner we take part in all these things, the the, the earlier we can, um, you know, change or hold our own narrative, uh, whatever that might be. So I'll stop there, and I see some hands up. So, um, so I want to, you know, uh, just Mohanji, uh, can I just say one or two minutes more? Yeah. Uh, because I think it uh, it flows nicely. So, what based on what uh, Vijay said, I'm going to tell you more. I'm going to tell you what is coming. Okay, not just what we've not just looked at what has happened. You know, there is this uh, gay parade and this LGBTQ day and all that. Uh, this is going to happen with caste also. You're going to see uh, a caste uh, anti-casteism day. Uh, sort of like happening in New York City and San Francisco. You will see it spreading to different cities. You will see kids being told to write an essay, uh, you know, lambasting casteists. Uh, you will see, uh, you know, this uh, special day of the year being designated to sort of, uh, you know, celebrate the rejection of caste. All of this embarrassing Hindus and Indians. This this is coming. And, and this is coming because the and the antidote to this, the movements that ought to have been built, we, I mean, we've been trying informally to warn people, but, you know, we've just been sitting around our, ours, the people who got the resources haven't really put in those resources to work. So individuals can do only so much. So I'm just warning you that this is coming. I'll also tell you that uh, juries, if you are unlucky enough to be a defendant in a court case and there's a jury, Right now, you know, if you're a white guy, the, the jury stacked against you. You're going to find that something similar if you're a Hindu. You're going to find that juries are going to have, people are going to have a bias. Uh, there is also another thing that's happened. Uh, this is not something that uh, the people who are into it directly want to publicize too much. But let's just, let me just give you a little bit of it. The BAPS, the whole attack on BAPS temple in uh, Swami Narayan, but BAPS temple in New Jersey. Uh, it's not some mysterious people who showed up and uh, it, it is all part of this. And the people who funded it, uh, we know who are the folks who have funded it uh, and who are the folks who've been hired to front it. Uh, and it turns out that uh, BAPS is on pretty solid ground legally uh, in, in terms of the direct attack. But the investigators, the feds, are really hounding, looking for something. So there is a there is also an infiltration into uh, into the uh, kind of uh, official machinery in the United States, uh, and and this is only the tip of the iceberg. This is only beginning, but more is going to happen. So, uh, not wanting to sound an alarmist, but wanting to alert that uh, if left alone, these things are going to get worse rather quickly. Thank you. Any other Rajiv ji and uh, Vijay ji. Uh, so uh, we'll start with the question and answers, but uh, there's a raised hand. Uh, so uh, Maliki from IIT Madras, if you could just keep your comment under one minute. Yeah, I just want to mention uh, uh, Ajanta did interview me in November of uh, 2015. And she did talk about it because she has come to know that I was from IIT Madras first batch and all that. But I think I know based upon the premise that she has done, I don't know how to refute it. We never felt it when we were the students over there. And then maybe, but also later on, subsequently, IIT Madras had some uh, legal issues and all of that. But I think this need to be addressed in some fashion. Right. Uh, then you are uh, Maliki. So uh, we'll go with the questions uh, that were uh, 
Mohan ji, just to answer that, uh, we've given a, a, a big rebuttal to Ajanta Subramaniam in our book, uh, and we will also do that in the new book that we bring. But the Snakes in the Ganga has uh, a huge section devoted to rebutting what her thesis is and then uh, a rebuttal of it. All right. Okay, so uh, going to the questions that were uh, submitted um, with the registration, is uh, Shishir Mitalji here from IIT Bombay? All right, so we'll move to the next one. Uh, is uh, Srinivasji Sonti from Madras, IIT Madras? Yes. Is a question? Yeah, please. Yes, uh, so Rajivji, um, thank you very much uh, for this opportunity. I'm, I'm very glad to be part of this. Um, and uh, thank you for your time. Just, um, this is something that I was just making a comment right in the very beginning. If we are pouring in billions and billions of dollars into these institutes, why, we should have the power to even change their mindset into how they behave and what they do, right? And why is it that not happening? And how, what can we do to actually convince our so-called billionaires who are supporting these uh, institutes like Harvard to change their, their way of thinking and actually, in a way, convert to our way of thinking? You see, thinking. You see uh, it's always good to learn from others, their good practices. So. Uh, while China is totalitarian domestically and India is a democracy, and I'm not uh, trying to convert India into a totalitarian uh, uh, state domestically, but as far as foreign policy is concerned, foreign policy-wise towards in the U.S., towards India, towards Harvard, I mean, their policy is very targeted. They have a good uh, game plan and agenda. The government uh, briefs its... The government firstly has a policy, and then it briefs its billionaires. There are so many Chinese billionaires who, who funded uh, Harvard, but they are always... You know, no Chinese-funded chair or center is talking about the Uyghur Muslim problem or the Tibet problem or democracy in China problem or, or human right problem or whatever, COVID, COVID. They don't talk about it. They're not allowed to talk about it. China basically says to hell with you. You guys don't know enough about our country. You just keep shut. We want to get STEM knowledge. We want to get technology, quantum computing, AI, medicine, engineering. So they are, they are targeting what they need out of Harvard. Now, the similar thing would be if uh, Mahindra said that uh, he wants to understand better automobile engineering, uh, maybe he fund the engineering school, or uh, Mittal says that he needs more, uh, you know, uh, metallurgy or some, whatever for his industry. At least they'll know how to evaluate. They will not, it will not be easy to make a fool out of them. Whereas uh, Mahindra having hired one of the top two or three postmodernist scholars in the world and made him a director, uh, and he is a known India basher and Hindu basher and uh, all of that. He's given many interviews mm -hmm. against India and against the Indian government and all that in Indian press. Yes. Having hired such a guy as a director, then obviously he's going to staff it with people of that kind. Uh, and Mahindra probably doesn't know what the hell is going on. He ought to know if, we, if it is not his area of expertise to understand postmodernism or liberal arts or Marxism or critical race theory. That's not his expertise. He, his expertise is making cars. So I am surprised that the, the Indian government hasn't stepped in. I'm surprised at the lack of leadership on the part of the Indian Council of Cultural Relations. Sahasra Budheji is the head of that. And that's part of Ministry of External Affairs. And they're supposed to talk about cultural relations overseas. They should have created a, this, this kind of a book. They should, even now, even now, they are reluctant to have, have Vijay and me go and speak at the embassy. We should be conducting workshops. They should be inviting us to do that. And they should be holding these workshops in Delhi so that we can brief the industrialists. 
so you see the government can play a role which they haven't wanted to they just don't want to touch this it's like nobody wants mm-hmm. to touch this problem uh, iit and yeah. leaders haven't wanted to touch it the ministry didn't want to touch it who's going to t- take it uh, at a high level you know it, it needs to be somebody at a high level these to listen to us first of all so the reason the problem has happened maybe then the solution is for us commoners to actually identify who are in the government places and then maybe write letters or talk to them so yes. there's a huge crowd that actually so the first you can do agenda. the first thing you can do is take a bunch of copies of this book and send it people cannot refuse when it's something big like this they they have to and you send a, a five page a two page note from your own side saying these are the reasons you should read it 1 2 3 4 you know people take note of it so that you send them something uh, that they have to take note of send it in this country send it in india people have to take note of it people should uh, uh, I, i was hoping that by now there'll be a, a people making a petition sending copies of this to the industrialists who are named lot of industrialists have been named it's not just it's not just mittal and piramal and mahindra but also bajaj and the tatas is all kind of fellows name ppm and, uh, had you know sharma sharma all of them there are okay. there are people here in new york who, who made a lot of money in the wall street and uh, various things like that and they're all in this game so the public has to shame them too public the public uh, we cannot legally there's nothing illegal be found you see if a if a indian billionaire wants to give his hard earned money to whoever for whatever cause it's up to him because that's his money i can't stop him and we're not trying to stop them but we can expose it so that people like you will take it further and it's not just two of us but it's going to be larger number of people making the ma- making them feel embarrassed and questioning them putting them on the defense and saying now why did you do this what did you get out of it what is the impact on your country uh, you know and things like that the so other I'm- thing also i'd like to add rajiv right here is um, in your own offices i'm sure you guys are all in good positions uh, in management and one of the things you know when you come up with these diversity equity uh, inclusion trainings is to come up with this as well right as it, it takes a lot of courage it's uh, it's very difficult to do but if enough indians uh, you know gang up and say hey this isn't fair and and we need a voice uh i think that th- that takes courage and that has impact as well to t- so take, can, take this I'll, on so take, can, take this I'll, on a lady i know uh, and i don't want to name her because i'm still trying to win her over uh, here in uh, in the princeton area who's considered one of the pioneers of uh, the whole dei movement the whole diversity because being an ethnic a non white being an indian she championed this like 25 years ago and she came up with all this is very highly educated he put it in the wall street some of the big firms financial uh, firms and then her protege a, a younger in, also an indian uh, she trained this younger person is a very dear friend of ours and again i don't want to name but she's on the board of several fortune 50 companies as sort of the dei head okay so now they are taking this whole wokeism and in the hoping to help um, you know blacks and american minorities they put this in the door now what they don't know they don't know i've confronted them i've said now you open this thing you created a foundation now the caste critical caste theory has entered dei and uh, the caste people are saying that this is also a protected class of people and uh, brahmin privilege and upper caste privilege should be considered should be subject to cancel culture should be considered white supremacy now what's your plan 
So I've confronted them. And I've done it very politely and courteously and privately. They do not know what to do. They are no mood to listen. They feel that it's better to just duck their head. So I think we have our own people to blame also. We have uh, the Ro Khannas of the world and the Pramila Jaipals of the world who've been elected by Indians. I mean, I'm not getting into politics here. The fact is that a lot of Indians have funded these kind of things. So where do you start? I mean, it's not only government. It's not only, you know, the gurus haven't done a darn thing. It's IITNs haven't done a darn thing. But it's our own uh, random rich people all over the place who funded these kind of organizations. And our activists have been scattered, each one trying to become famous, you know, climbing on each other's shoulders. And uh, there has a, it hasn't been possible, it hasn't been easy for Vijay and I to start a movement and get our activists behind us and say, okay, now let's streamline the support. Uh, somebody takes the lead and does something. Other people should help active, uh, turn it into, uh, uh, you know, mobilization. Uh, it, it's very difficult to organize our people. This is the problem. The Chinese are very super organized. And we are not. We are sort of everybody scattered in their own way. That's the problem as I see it. Uh, there are a couple of raised hands, but there's a related question. I thought we'll just go with that and then uh, come back to Atuji and Krishnaji. So uh, we have uh, Narendraji Joshi from IIT Bombay who has kind of related questions. So Narendraji, uh, under one minute, we can go with your question. Rajivji, have you attempted meeting any major industrialists like Mittal or uh, Murthy? who donated to Harvard to basically ask them why they donated and what are the implications that are coming out of their donations for the country. And if you have made, uh, what has been their response? Okay, so <laughs> I'm glad you asked. So it's written in our book, but I'll tell you, uh, you know, in 2010-ish, uh, around even before, uh, I was, because I've been giving these talks for 30 years, I PowerPoint slides, I go around giving. So, Mr. Guru Murthy, who's a friend, uh, in fact, this morning only we exchanged uh, messages back and forth. And so, long ago, uh, he said, you know, Rajiv, what you are saying is very important that you should explain it to uh, Anand Mahindra. So, I said, I don't know him. He said, don't worry, I'll introduce you. So we were in Chennai when this conversation happened. He called up Anand Mahindra, fixed an appointment. To, so to, to answer your question, yes, I went to Mumbai, thanks to Guru Murthy, had an appointment to spend quality time with Anand Mahindra. Very decent man, very nice person. In his headquarters, we had lunch together. Uh, I showed him my PowerPoint slides. I had all that. He had all this equipment there. And I, he was waiting for me to give him some detailed stuff. I left a hard copy with him. He... Didn't, he, he ignored it. He was very nice to me. He was very nice to me. And, uh, and uh, you know, before I learned uh, a couple of years, you know, a little bit later, he's starting funding them and set up this Mahindra Center and whatnot. So I guess that was more important to him, but he did have, I can't say that no one told me privately. And after that, uh, one of his right-hand men who was reporting to him, who's now retired, uh, was a dear friend of mine since school days we've known each other as family and school friends and i've always been telling this guy what i'm up to and what mahindra is up to why it's no good so even indirectly through his uh, one of his top uh, vice presidents executive vice presidents he's been kept informed of what all my concerns are but no it's no no uh, did no effect on him as far as piramal is concerned uh, when uh, modi was uh, uh, likely to get elected uh, and as a rise, rising star, a year before the actual election, he, I got a call from uh, 
Ganesh Arnal, who in Mumbai used to do all my events and organize. He was a well-connected guy in the financial industry. And so he would do, you know, he knew people and he would organize talks and all that. So he calls me and says that, that Ajay Piramar has called me and want to know if you're in town. And he heard you're in town and he wants to see you. And you should see him. He's very important. So I said, who's Ajay Piramal? I mean, sorry for the, for the ignorance, but I didn't know who these guys are in India. And I was just busy doing my work. So I went to Ajay Piramal's, the Piramal Tower, very beautiful place and nice, great, big, huge, very expensive, all these uh, arts from, uh, uh, you know, Hussein and all kind of great artists, important artists in India, I suppose. Uh, very nice, uh, hospitable. They, these guys are so decent and smooth and warm and i he called me to understand me better because he heard of my me as a somebody intellectual or whatever i gave him a same presentation i left hard copy with him uh, and he said oh very interesting very interesting i left some books i had done and then i heard nothing then a couple of two three years later i took the initiative and said i want to meet him uh, to get give him an update things are getting more serious I went, he was again available, no problem. And I briefed him. So twice I briefed him in his headquarters. And they, he cannot say that he didn't know about these things. But Mittal, I don't, I haven't briefed personally in this way, but I met him in Trinidad. Uh, there was this Hindu Congress, it's like 20, 18, 20 years ago, a Hindu conference of some kind. And I was there, he was there, and we were together and I briefed him all these things. He sat, in fact, the host there, there's one Swami Chidanand from Rishikesh. He brought me to brief Mittal and a few other very big shots. And we sat in a special, somebody's, you know, I think it was Mittal only owned that property or somebody, one of them who did. And I gave a briefing for an afternoon. It was over lunch. I gave a briefing of what is going on. This is like 18 years ago because I've been into this for a long time. And they all hear you. But, you know, something prevents them from... Uh, you know, taking this matter seriously, they're still into what is in it for them, their own selfish, uh, maybe maybe their business deal is that you are in the good books of Harvard, you sit on the board of directors with prestigious American billionaires, and it's good for your business, maybe your kids will get into Harvard, maybe it's good for your brand name in India, whatever it is, uh, it seems that uh, despite their patriotism, display display of Indian patriotism in India, uh, when it comes to their dealings with Harvard, uh, they are not able to give that priority over their personal, uh, their personal what they want to do. So uh, all I can say is, I don't want to accuse them, but it would it would not be unreasonable if it turned out that it's all selfish stuff, selfishness. Uh, so I, I I mean I but at the same time I want to tell you that I have no evidence or no desire to accuse them on a personal level because I, I, I have no basis for that. I, all I'm saying is billionaire is party number one, funds Harvard party number two, and Harvard sets up a, a chair or a center in the name of this billionaire and that they appoint a director, that's party number three. And this director hires a whole staff of people, faculty here and there, that's party number four. And then they organize a conference every year, every month, they have lectures, what now, and the people who come and speak are party number five. Now, it's party number five who are the snakes who are coming and doing all this stuff. So party number one could say, I gave this money, there's all this pipeline in between, you know, and I don't know what they did, and I don't know who these people are, and maybe they're saying bad things, I don't know. They might be able to wash their hands off.
but that's kind of cop out it is the buck stops with them because it's their money and it's the name and they have to they have to take some responsibility so that's my position although i have no dirty linen on them personally i am only okay. concerned the output being done in their name by harvard yes a quick a quick comment and question so what otherwise looks like a noble cause a noble cause is like helping including lgbtq etc in that garb these it seems to me that these theories are very poisonous uh, with long term hazardous effect on all of the civil society and us correct me if i'm wrong these are flowing into india in a big way supreme court judge justices intercivilists etc etc you said what should we do about it in the sense what can we do to put pressure on our leaders back in india people who matter and what can they do at the individual level and what can they do as an organization as a, as a team whatever you can say in here so thought well, i'll open it up yeah so thank you for the question so first of all how is it going to india it's not just uh, uh, chandrachud supreme court guy microsoft india is going to enact the policies of hr which they have in microsoft headquarters if microsoft headquarters has a policy on caste as race and there has to be a there has to be workshop on caste sensitivity and there has to be quota system and they have to we have a special trained person in the in the uh, 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 dalit train in the hr department who will listen to all the uh, uh, you know complaints if they if it is happening in if it's happening in the united states headquarters then certainly it's going to happen in the subsidiary in india for you can sure all of this thing that is taking on the, the reason silicon valley is a target is that when you put your your people into the dei department of the hr Uh, you know in headquarters and they start hiring certain kind of people not hiring certain kind of people uh, investigating certain things giving certain kind of workshop when they start these practices here they will be echoed in india they will you will have google india microsoft india facebook and amazon and apple you'll have all and you'll have the ones who are uh, tcs is doing uh, outsourcing uh, they got tens of thousands of people outsourcing for american clients they'll be told as an outsourcing organization they'll be told that you got to have labor policies uh, which are friendly which are america friendly and which are dalit friendly because this is a corporate ethos just like there is sustainability you know now now if the headquarters is says we have a sustainability policy then if they are buying some equipment from uh, a foreign country they got to make sure that it is done in a sustainable way otherwise they'll be accused that you are exporting the pollution you are you are sustainable home at home but you are buying the stuff from somebody else in another country where there is not sustainability policy so the only it takes only a little bit of time little bit of delay once something happens in the headquarters the same policies have to happen in the, in the subsidiaries so india will be right in the it industry will be attacked in this which is people think that the casteism has entered you know quota in the school in the colleges and all that but imagine it enters the whole tech industry pharmaceutical industry financial industry automobile industry i mean this is this is coming and it is not going to be 5 10 years it is coming very very soon so first of all india needs to know this i don't know why india people are still sleeping they don't want to deal with this they need a wake up shot you know so now what can we do is what uh, you guys can join vijay and me and and expand expand our uh, the visibility of this work be a force multiplier uh, we need uh, see if this let's say we take this book we are writing this 150 page book which is focusing on this whole issue of iits and another 150 page book which is our response to this allegation of caste in general so let's say we could have we had enough 
resources, we would put out 20, 30, 40,000 copies, put it out in, uh, in a little video form, a documentary, put it out in Hindi, put it out in uh, Kannada and, uh, you know, uh, Tamil uh, and, and uh, uh, flood it with, uh, let our point of view go everywhere. I mean, it's a matter of uh, funds only. Uh, we would, within our game plan, in the next three to six months would be to take this uh, work uh, and and turn it into small small works, more easily readable. This big one is like a like a user manual, a toolkit, but make a smaller versions for targeted readers, and create a very large print run, and and inexpensive, and flood the market, and then go around giving workshops in all these places, so that while the equality labs type people are giving their workshop, we should be giving a counter workshop also. But that requires funding. And that just requires us to have a force multipliers because there's only so much two individuals can do. So that is what I think people like you could consider. I mean, I don't want to uh, pressure anybody, but I would say that is something, that is the least that the IITNs could be doing. So uh, we'll go with uh, uh, another question that uh, people had put in the registration form before you go back to uh, Krishnaji again after that. So uh, let's go with... Um, uh, is uh, Ravi Shankarji here? Only one question under one minute. So Ravi Shankarji from IIT Madras. Thank you. Thank you, Rajivji. Your, your work is just unbelievable, the focus and all of that. So my question is, uh, you know, I consider Adi Shankara as my role model and a mentor, and he dealt with the situation where there was a lot of poison. And uh, so rather than try to change a snake and change mindset, which is very, very difficult to change people's mindsets, I'm thinking of a movement that will, will be bigger, like if you, because to change a human being like a Sahasrabuddhi or anybody else is hard. Even all of us have our own preconceived notions. So what if we use all our energy to create a much bigger positive line that caste is basically not, not uh, you know, it's based on hard work and really do something positive because as an author myself, 80% of the people don't read books, but they will join a movement. So I would like you to comment on creating movements that all of us join. Let the snakes be snakes. Let us create more guns, if I will, right? So yeah. I would like to really, because books, nobody reads. I'm, I know this. As an author, I've traveled all over the world. Let's create a movement and draw a bigger line that this line that we are, that we are dealing with, don't try to erase it. Make so, it line smaller. So you see, first, okay. Books are important because even though 90% of the people will not read the books, they need training material. The training material has to come from a book, so it is authoritative. It can be substantiated. Even the 1% who want to go and check the facts need a book to check the facts. So we need that book even for those who are the serious thinkers. So that they And the people who don't read the book like to know that there is a book. There is a book. If I need it, I'll go. It's like a, like a safety raft, a safe, you know, like a safety net. Uh, I know that there is this book and it has got all these things in it and it has got hundreds of references. And if I get into an argument and they challenge me, I'll go look it up and give the answer. 99% of the time, I don't need it, but it's there if I need it. So that's a safe psychological uh, morale booster to our people that this is all backed by uh, research. It is not just demagoguery because if it's a, if demagoguery would be enough, there are plenty of manthans and con uh, groups going on and people shouting, screaming. That is the difference between a scholar and an activist. A scholar can substantiate what he has done 
with solid evidence and arguments and an activist is basically emotionally trying to rabble rouse and raise people so you you do not want activism which is not on a foundation of scholarship that is the it's a two tier system so at the foundation you do need the books after all ajanta subramanian's book is a very heavy book and and the books by uh, this uh, wilkerson uh, uh, and and a book by uh, this yende they all harvard type books very uh, and on the books they built up uh, activism the, the the activism is on top of the books the legal action is on top of the books so the law, legal action like this uh, california uh, people who have filed this case on uh, against uh, uh, this cisco they are referring to these books only uh, yeah, this uh, uh, chief justice is referring to the books only so that is one level now what we need at the next level are simpler books which is what we are now making and then the simpler books even smaller pamphlets and then then what we need are these uh, these uh, videos for training purposes if you want to have a movement you need training material you cannot have be personally present and physically train all these uh, all the people who are going to join you you need uh, audio visual online training material so it is taking a book taking making a small book making a smaller pamphlet Uh, translating all this into various languages and making videos having workshops uh, i would like vijay would i would like that if we can create this audio visual uh, material we would like to go next time and do 20 workshops uh, because then then we can we can do our job quickly if you go to different cities and get thought leaders and activists together uh, in a day each you can you can train a large number of people uh, so we, that is how the movement has to be done we have to we have to have material to train other leaders that because we need thousands of leaders to create lakhs of followers that is how we have to do rajiv and one more point, speaking of adi shankara and also uh, the requirement of a book rajiv you might want, we have a, a track record of a, a success story from columbia university's adi shankara chair and rajiv if you could just briefly talk about how that came into being and how we successfully But- Yeah, uh, uh, the Shankaracharya Math of Shingeri, uh, the 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 person Gauri Shankar, who is the administrative head, without informing the Shankaracharya, he signed an MOU with Columbia University. One of the nastiest uh, Hindu phobic professors, Sheldon Pollock, uh, which under which uh, many chairs would be set up, funded by the Indian billionaires. All these Wall Street type people were funding. Five million to ten million dollars per chair. One was going to be in Colombia, then they would do it in other places, and this would get all the. They would be the custodians of the future legacy of Adi Shankar. They would be teaching around the world. They would be producing new sadhus, new swamis, new uh, pandits. Uh, you know, because they, they they would they would they would be the ones taking over and globalizing Adi Shankar. But but I was very concerned that their idea of Adi Shankar is very negative. Their idea is very full of. Uh, To- toxins very negative view on uh, adi shankara on sanskrit on the shastras on our itihas all of that and shalin polak is a known marxist and not very friendly to us but he is very good at sanskrit he happens to know sanskrit so this was a mou signed up and within 90 days they were going to get all the money in and this would be announced in columbia university all the big shots all the politicians and celebrities would come in a gala event and then the game would be over for us so i had 90 days to intervene and i i uh, tried to send faxes and emails to the shankaracharya but this they they would all be intercepted no, they, not one of them reached him is what i found out later then somebody who's 
late father used to be right hand man supporting the Shankaracharya of Chingeri. She called me and said, we know the, our family knows Shankaracharya. We'll get you in privately. You come over to Bangalore. We'll take you there in the uh, in privately. It'll be through the side door. Nobody will block you. Nobody will know you're coming and we will escort you. And then you'll have a briefing with him. And then you tell him and you can change his mind. And this is very important. So I went and, uh, uh, this lady from Chicago, Rama Shankar is her name. I mean, she's now moved back to uh, Bangalore. Her sister and sister's son, they arranged my private meeting with Shankaracharya. It was such that it's like a spy novel. You know, I had to go through the side door. They said there'll be little kutia, there'll be some man there and you go to his house and he will know he'll be expecting you and he'll take you to the Shankaracharya through the side door and all that. So that is how I, without telling the establishment, because they would block me and they would cancel my visit. This is how I met the Shankaracharya. And what was supposed to be a 10, 15 minute meeting went on for a couple hours because I gave him a lot of briefing. So I used the word Purva Paksha. I said Adi Shankara did Purva Paksha and debate with opponents. So uh, nobody here has done Purva Paksha of Sheldon Pollock. We don't know. We haven't done a Purva Paksha to figure him out. Nobody in your organization has done that. Why are you giving all these rights to him and turning over the whole Adhikar to these guys in Colombia just because they talk nicely? But actually, you need to do Purva Paksha and find out that they are very against and anti our tradition, anti-Vedas. So I said, please give me a little bit of time. Please delay this 90-day thing. So Shadi Shankara, this uh, Shankaracharya was very receptive, and so he delayed the signing of the the, the the actual launch of the chair, and I got a little bit of time. This is how I wrote this book called The Battle for Sanskrit. Please go and look up the book. It is not a useless book. It saved the Shankaracharya Mutt from being taken over, from being hijacked. So I did this book. It's a 450 or page or something like that called The Battle for Sanskrit. And that book is for even if only one copy were printed and that one copy went to Shankaracharya himself and it did the job of stopping this from happening, that would make my life worth it. It is a huge thing that the Shankaracharya Mathas and the other Mathas did not get hijacked the way they were planning and we, were only, we only had 90 days. So that is the power of scholarship. The scholarship was so solid that we produced that Shankaracharya himself decided that he's not going to proceed with this. Uh, with this, uh, uh, So that's a success story, and we have many such success stories. Yeah, uh, tell you what, what all we've achieved through our scholarship. Yeah, yeah, no, no, I, 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 I'll just make a comment and I'll, I'll finish, other people are there. My point is very simple. We can we can write about COVID or develop a vaccine. I'm, I really want to help you develop a vaccine because we can write about COVID all day long. The, the people will not change. I want to work with you. All of us can help you to build a vaccine so we vaccinate a million people, a billion people to address. Using that metaphor, before you build a vaccine, you need to do research. No, no, I'm not saying don't do it. But I think for, for if you just do that, we cannot solve the problem in front of us. Like, look, look what Moderna did. They, they didn't talk about COVID. They just solved the damn problem. So my, 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 my humble request is, what can you do no, vaccine? Wait a second. I, I disagree that they got up one morning and said, let's just build a vaccine. The mRNA technique has been a matter of research for 10 years. It has been patent after patent after patent, filing research papers. If you look at how much research has gone before the vaccine 
development started, it is many, many years, many, many patents, many, many FDA applications, many scientists approving it. It is, it is a result of all that that, uh, that, uh, uh, that pr produced this. So, uh, you, you, and also, uh, Ravindraji is right in his note. Social problems are different in the sense that there is no one vaccine and a place to get FDA approval and everybody will take it. Social, social sciences require consensus building. Consensus building means that the media has to be on your side. The think tanks have to be on your side. The government policymakers have to be on your side. So if you want to transform social policy on social justice and things like that, you should look at social movements that have worked. So for example, there's a social movement on climate. Look at what have they done in the last 30 years. Now, what has the, so, uh, the climate change movement achieved in the last 30 years? What has the LGBTQ movement achieved in the last 30 years? Because they're now mainstream. What has the Black Lives Matter movement achieved? They created something called critical race theory. That is a, that is a, a very serious piece of scholarship they've done. Social changes, social transformations don't happen like, you know, you invented a vaccine in your backyard and you go around giving millions of injections and everybody will shift over and become Advait Vedantin and be singing Vasudeva Kutumbakam tomorrow morning. There's no Vasudeva Kutumbakam vaccine that you could develop. So Rajiv ji and Vijay ji, first of all, you know, let me applaud you for bringing awareness, you know, about some of these issues to all of us. Um, I have a question, you know, these battles are very hard to fight. Uh, there are still battles, particularly when our own resources are being used uh, to work against us, right? So I'm just trying to understand how we can persuade some of our own billionaires uh, to not be funding this. And if I can understand them wanting a, a seat at the table at Harvard or any other place uh, and may have some money to throw around, but they, they ought to be able to wield a little more influence in terms of uh, what these things put out with all of that money. And if they're unable to do it, uh, is it because there is a bigger foe acting from uh, you know, the shadows and that's directing some of these efforts that they are unable to stand up to. And what do we do? So the first thing, I mean, it, it, it would seem, you know, I mean, we can just try to come up with defenses and, and all kinds of material. Uh, but if there is this barrage of money just pouring into these efforts, uh, I, I mean, it'll be, a, it'll be an ongoing battle to, to uh, no uh, productive, towards no productive end, right? So uh, is there a way we can perhaps persuade uh, our own billionaires, one, to stop funding or to uh, better direct their funds to uh, you know, unproductive uses of this kind? And two, if they still want to do it for whatever their reasons, uh, can we identify what those other uh, forces are? And two, but perhaps they can be persuaded to provide some money to efforts such as the Infinity Foundations uh, when they're actually trying to put up a, a defense. That's all they should have some interest in these matters as well. Uh, successful people want to, be, uh, they have achieved a, a comfort zone. They have uh, worked hard. They've achieved a comfort zone. They're very well settled. Uh, and so they don't want to stick their neck out of their comfort zone. They have no reason to. I mean, in, a, in one sense, I did that because I, I was very comfortable. I was doing extremely well 30 years ago. Uh, in the prime of my life, I decided I don't want to sit in the comfort zone and just keep making more money. I quit everything and jumped into something which it, uh, is very risky for me. And I did that. But very few people are willing to stick their neck out when they've already achieved success working so hard. Uh, so my, why the IITians aren't there? I would say the successful ones don't want to risk anything. They don't want to be seen 
some of them are actually leftist. A lot of IITians are very radical leftists. I've come across IITians who argue in favor of Ajanta Subramaniam, in favor of these wokists, uh, in favor of equality labs. I know IITians who will actually argue like that also. So there's that kind of IITian uh, who's actually leftist and wokist. Then there's the IITian who may be privately a good Hindu dharmic fellow and all, but publicly he doesn't want to get out of his comfort zone. And then there are those who do want to, uh, you know, do something about it. They're very concerned, but they are in a small minority. Unfortunately, they also are often very scattered. Rather than doing something, joining somebody who's taken the lead, they will say, why don't you do this instead? Why don't you do that instead? So at the end of a lot of conversations, a lot of discussions, nothing really happens. What you have is just a lot of brainstorming. So that is that has been my experience. But Vijaya, do you want to answer the main question? I think part four of our book, we talk about um, how going along with woke ideology in terms of DEI and ESG and all of that uh, is a sort of uh, hush money to keep uh, the woke uh, crowd um, to, get, to get, get their support and to uh, keep them off the backs of the billionaires. Usually the far left is always against capitalists, but this is a sort of hush money. So part four of the book, we talk about a, a, a bigger agenda here. And even in the US, you have many people, if you uh, read uh, uh, a young, bright Indian entrepreneur by the name of Vivek Ram Ramaswamy, who talks about how this whole ESG movement came about and how BlackRock CEO Larry Fink, it's a very, it's not any conspiracy theory. These are all well-known facts that uh, they push corporate governance into adopting ESG uh, criteria uh, and not just stick to their fiduciary responsibility of making a profit for their investors. So these are all uh, big issues, even in the U.S., um, letting the woke uh, crowd into the uh, into business and ESG, as we mentioned in the very last uh, part of our book, is one of the ways that companies um, uh, are uh, paying hush money to the to the woke crowd. And um, under ESG comes DEI, and so these billionaires and millionaires, all of them are. When they when they fund Harvard, it's actually signaling that they are supporting um, these sorts of initiatives, and uh, it 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 but it keeps them uh, out of the radar of the of the work crowd. So please read part four of the book, and you can understand more. So uh, we'll move with uh, you know one of the question from uh, the ones who submitted much earlier is uh, Shishirji uh, in the group. Shishirji Mittal from IIT Bombay. All right, or do we have, um, uh, uh, let us see if, uh, uh, Sandeep Jaswani from IIT Guwahati. Sandeep Jaswani. All right, in that case, I yes, have I'm one here. question. Yeah, please go ahead with your question. I'm, I'm here. Keep it under one minute. Yeah. So, Namaste Rajivji. Uh, so, you have often spoken about the idea of the poison pill. And this caste is clearly a huge problem. And I could not have imagined it will, be, it will take this shape in US. So is there a poison pill here? And particularly uh, the fact that there are uh, castes not just in Hindus, but also in Muslim, uh, Muslim and Christian society in India. That so, seems to so, me as a poison pill. So 
you you are right. You understood what I've been doing. The poison pill idea, for those who don't know, is in one of my previous books as a strategy where we can take their thesis and put poison against them and send it back to them. And I've explained in other places how we can do that. So a poison pill for caste, using caste against them is something Vijay and I are discussing, which is a lot of examples we are coming up with Christianity, particularly Christianity in India, where uh, the, the uh, same argument uh, about Dalits and about oppression and about old structures and all that could be used to dismantle church. You could argue the same way to dismantle church. And so we, we want to have done a lot of good, solid homework and produce this. Uh, and, you know, if you talk too much about it, we have activists who go and start making noise and uh, claiming it this here and there. And then it will subvert our effort. So we just don't want to talk too much. But we will develop some good poison pill. This is just one example, but we have several uh, ideas of poison pill that we want to prepare. We do. Okay, thank you. So we have a few more questions that have uh, been submitted and uh, we'll go over those first and then we'll come back to you Maliki later. Um, so there's one question from uh, Shailaji from IIT Bombay. Uh, you want to go next? Hi Rajivji, uh, Shailaj here. Uh, I just wanted to know whether is there any merit in uh, making an ally on the other side of the Ivy League, you know, the woke crowd. For example, uh, say some uh, say University of Texas or something like that, or is there any uh, cons to that? I mean, is there any disadvantage to that approach? Well, no, I've, I've uh, argued, I keep arguing with the uh, woke crowd. Uh, here in Princeton, there are a lot of woke people. I've given them a lot of, uh, you know, the point is we are always, there are many advantages in engaging opponents. Uh, sometimes you win them over uh, because some of them are not very solidly established in the op opposing side. Nobody's come from our side giving them the argument. When you give them the argument in a room of 10 people, few of them will bring come to your side. It's very slow, but it works. So some of that is one reason. The other reason is that you test your arguments against opponents. You, you Your arguments become better and better the more you use them in, in front of other people, especially if they are outnumbering you and they're trying to outshout you and all that. Uh, then you understand what works, what doesn't work, how to you know how to counter them. So I'm always doing this. This is a, this is an active part of what I've been doing for a long time. Uh, so yeah, I, and I've had some meetings here in Princeton area with exactly those kind of people you're talking about, and it's quite fruitful. But I don't think it's a there's a sort of a one home run that you can sort of come up with this Pfizer vaccine or Moderna and just give it to all these million vocists and next morning they'll get up and we'll be fine. I, I, that I don't know of any treatment of that kind, you know. I just want to clarify a little bit about uh, Shailesh's question. I think this question is more about uh, should we seek alliances with establishments that are opposed to the woke crowds? And the oh, IEP, there are already those. And there are, is there a potential opposed. allies or are there more? Yeah. Is it worse than actually just fighting the Ivy League ourselves? No, no, no. Uh, opposed to the work crowd. I didn't hear that. Okay, that is good. There is a University of Austin uh, that is anti-Harvard. It's a billionaire who set up, uh, uh, Peter Thiel uh, set it up. And the purpose, the person who wrote my foreword, Peter Bogosian, is one of the founding faculty of that. He's, he's a founding faculty. He's in that crowd. So we are working with those people also. Uh, it will take time because, you know, there's a long history of... Uh, antagonism between the right wings of the world. I mean, the right wing of one country and the right wing of another country, the conservatives of the world 
have a long history of combatism and animosity. Now they have a common enemy because the global left is a common enemy of all the right wings, you know. So now there is some people on the Christian right who want to work with us. And I, that's why I had a very successful meeting at Harvard. And my entry point was not the social sciences. It was the religion department, the divinity school. And they, and they were very interested in a further. We pro I'm probably going to go back uh, to Harvard and have a bigger event. Vijay and I will have a bigger event at the divinity school. In the in the next few months, so there are uh, there are such strategic allies who also not Indian but who also have uh, a gripe against wokeism. Another one is uh, I'm meeting some people in um, uh, Washington D.C. Uh, some of your group here present here are introducing me to people in Washington D.C. They're Chinese people who hate the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, they they absolutely they're kind of dissentants dissidents living in this country and they want allies and we're going to work with them. So we are finding such people also. Right. Uh, Rajivji. So I have uh, one more question. Um, this is from, I see that uh, Prasanaji from IIT Bombay, uh, he has logged in. So Prasanaji, you want to go with it? Yes, yes. Namaste Rajivji. Uh, thank you for this session. My question is coming from people who don't appreciate the importance of this. They are not necessarily woke or leftists, but what are the consequences of uh, these narrative or us not opposing this narrative? How will it affect the IIT operation, entrance, or alumni relations? Well, you know, the thing is that uh, uh, if there is a, if the American companies start taking action, uh, on the presumption that uh, Indians are basically biased people and the DEI department should clamp down and make suspects out of them and you know bring down their their merit-based success that'll that'll flow into India that'll flow into the h1b policy uh, you know of visas uh, it'll flow into you know and then there'll be pressure on the government you know that maybe these IITs are too uh, casteist and some government may some ministry may, try to appease people by putting some kind of, a, uh, you know, more, already there are quotas that are available for local, uh, Dalits, Dalits have quota. I mean, it's like SCST quotas exist. It's not like uh, we've already done that. But to what extent they might make it even worse, I don't know. Maybe, maybe quotas on faculty also. Uh, so I don't know where this could go. That I don't know. But it's already, it's already, the temperature is pretty hot. On the uh, Rajiv, I'd just like to add that that um, in this new IIT book, we'll show how um, this is an agenda to dismantle all STEM institutions. So if you're an IIT person that is uh, not interested, you will soon find that it'll affect your children. It's coming to K to 12 education in some way. So it'll, it'll get you. Uh, and like I said in the beginning, the time is over where you can just virtue signal and not participate because it's coming for the family. There, there are efforts to dismantle the family. Um, there are efforts to confuse children on gender ideology. So these are all coming. Uh, you may not know it, but it's already there and it's coming to India as well. So it'll come to get you one way or the other. So I think uh, sooner or later. So it's just a matter of time. I'm, I'm here, Mohandi. Uh... Yeah, so sorry, it's your turn. And uh, there's only one question in uh, under one minute. If you have more questions, just raise the hand. Okay, sure. No, I mean, uh, so, Namaste Rajivji. Uh, I, uh, I attended the DC event and you had talked about their uh, learnings from Ramayana and Mahabharata. Uh, one of the key learnings from these epics uh, for me has been that, uh, you know, uh, and, and there was a question earlier about alliances. 
but uh, even god incarnations uh, have to form alliances to win the war so my question is very simple uh, i wanted to check you know if there is any established strategy at infinity foundation to form alliances if there is uh, you know is there somebody responsible to do that solely and then finally what is the succession plan at infinity foundation uh, you know uh, as as things are moving forward uh, and it is becoming more and more important for all of us we are all stakeholders in this so i just wanted to understand if there is a established uh, succession plan at infinity foundation so you know the our, our us reaching out to pan iit is an example of alliance building so we can keep talking about third parties we we can uh, I, i went to canada we have some discussions i went to uh, uh, you know india there many some closed door meeting with people because you know right, right now is too sensitive so alliance building of course with all kind of people who can help us including white americans we are wanting to build alliances in the united states with white conservative americans also uh, uh, including with harvard divinity school uh, so it's not just with indians and hindus but we want to have alliances wherever it makes sense but the alliance relevant to this conversation has to be with pan iit so here we are we i i went to i talked to iit people in uh, toronto i was there for four five days i uh, in boston uh, that's where i met mohan and uh, you know then i went to bay area and i was hosted by Uh, uh you know very prominent iitian and he had a few other iitians uh, a few of them were very very enthusiastic some of them were not some of them were actually left wing opponents so we left it like that and now we let's see what comes out of it and then i went to washington dc so you know we've been trying so hard to uh, from our side to uh, do this collaboration with iit people uh, ravindra is the right guy so you, you know later on and i don't know how much he wants to disclose because some of it is confidential also but he's working very hard to create a good alliance between our foundation and the pan iit and let's see where it takes us so that's all i can say right now the uh, the uh, uh, the uh, successor plan the thing is you know uh, we have uh, we have four tracks of uh, uh, work that infinity foundation does and we call them tracks a b c d so track a has been my work and i have another 20 books to finish so that should be that should be all i do is do those 20 books but track b is to create successors co-authors research assistants people who are young people so we have we have found a lot of them uh, but as volunteers unpaid volunteers they can only do so much work uh, when we get funding we bring a person on board uh, you know just yesterday i got a pledge from somebody who uh, not nothing to do with iit just a a uh, nice person lady in boston and she said she's going to she's sponsoring five years uh, one full time one salary you know for five years so we we're going to convert one of our volunteers into a, into a full time person right now we have in the united states uh, three people on the american salary and we have eight or nine people in india on the indian salary and that is the resource which we are that is how much resource we have uh, we have another 20 30 people that we want to train for doing research so and this is not only people who can write books but people who some translators some people are video people some are act, social media activists some people are so this this is what we call track b which is taking the taking the same uh, principles and research and knowledge uh, that i've been doing and transferring it to a few dozen people and then track c we want to expand this into e learning we want to expand this knowledge into video animations or kind of stuff 
uh, which which keeps the knowledge into simpler forms. And then track D is social media, uh, you know, people who are influencers in the mass market, in the public. So we are trying to create resources and people at all these four levels from very serious research, which is groundbreaking, which is needed as the foundation. And then more and more simple forms of it all the way down to, uh, you know, uh, simple tweets and social media and little two minute videos and whatnot. That's the plan. And we've been on this plan very consistently doing whatever best we can uh, with the resources we have. And so, you know, the pro problem is that 30 years ago, actually, we were, getting, uh, we were getting more attention because there was nobody else around. As recently as 10 years ago, uh, we were getting quite a lot of attention. But then so many lookalikes, so many people got into this field, so many, uh, you know, Hindu organization, Hindu this and Hindu that and all kind of people. Uh, so the, the donors are also spread out, spread, uh, scattered. Uh, and we don't do fundraisers. We haven't done a fundraiser per se. Uh, we, we've we are experimenting, but we are not very good at going around asking people for resources. I thought that since I nobody asked me to do this, I did it of my own. I thought there'll be lots of other people, other other successful Indians who would want to join out of their own, out of their own inner calling. But that hasn't happened. People who made it successfully want to keep making more and more, keep adding zeros at the end of their net worth, and it, they haven't really transformed the same way. So what will be happening in the future is, is, is all up for grabs. I, don't, I cannot say to you what will happen in the future, but we are certainly trying our best uh, to bring more people in, which requires more resources, and uh, create a robust institution that can go from one generation to the next. I should ask you, what can, you know, it's like, what are you doing or what can you do towards this? This is the thing that I would like to ask each person. For, as an IITian, what can you do to create this alliance that you talked about, we would love it. And, and as an individual, what can you do to help our foundation create the, have the resources, bring in more people? Because while I don't need a salary, Vijaya doesn't need a salary, the point is that many other people do. And so we want to bring in people who are properly paid. Uh, otherwise, we'll just have volunteers and nobody, nobody, uh, you know, nobody there on a full-time basis. So this is where resources are needed. So I should be asking you guys questions like, what are you guys going to do to provide those resources? Because nothing will drop from the sky on its own, you know? Yes, I was just about to say any concluding remarks uh, before you leave. I think we can spend a minute or two. Any concluding remarks for the so, group? And so, yes. Yeah, I, first of all, I want to thank you. I think the questions were very, very good, very sharp. I do, my concluding remarks are, I do hope you will read the book. I hope you will get extra copies and give it to other people. I know Ravindra is working very strategically. So uh, my, my concluding remark would be uh, help Ravindra achieve whatever his strategy is because he's on the right track. He shared it with me. Uh, help him uh, offline. And uh, we are with him and with, uh, would love to continue our conversations in the future. And thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. Question for Vijayaji for public interest here. How is China able to do it? And where are we failing? What can we do to block this big poison inflow, I guess, into uh, the civil society, both India and American good people as well? What is I, China, how is China doing it? Dictatorship helps um, to have that uh, communist machinery. Uh, everybody's aligned. Uh, so, for example, in the book, we show how um, China uses Harvard for 
um, getting its infrastructure in place for the social credit system, for example. They use Harvard to train their, um, in fact, the Yugo Muslim, um, uh, the, the outdoor prison uh, camps, uh, are the, the guys that manage this are Harvard Kennedy fellows. So uh, Harvard looks the other way and actually trains these um, communist apparatchiks to uh, expand Yuga Muslim um, camps. Uh, so the China, uh, um, the China conference at Harvard does not talk about any of the Tibetan issue or the uh, Taiwanese or Hong Kong independence movements. Uh, these topics are kept away. Whereas if you look at the Harvard India conference, it's always about Kashmir and CAA and Article 370, all of these, these points. It's mainly centered on this. And the people who represent uh, are also people who go and give depositions to the USCIRF against India. So, uh, so it's it's uh, everywhere. The conferences are like this. The academic research is like that. Um, so China, that way, being um, very focused, uh, they are able to achieve a lot more with the funding that they give. They're able to uh, buy certain technologies, steal the rest of it, um, hush uh, billionaires. Uh, and you know, may, make sure that they if they speak anything negative about China, the market is closed to them. Chinese market is closed to them. So I guess being a, a communist, um, uh, having a communist structure helps. The dictatorship helps. But I think India, we are all sold out in a, exact opposite on the other side. We are all sold out. Our, our our scholars are for sale. Our students are for sale. Our diplomats. Uh, in fact, the Indian government spends a whole lot of money training. Um, training the diplomats at Harvard Kennedy School and what they're learning is all this. So we are actually using taxpayer money to uh, uh, to, uh, to teach our diplomats. We're also uh, we're bringing in these Harvard experts into any the Niti uh, Aayog uh, to like Tarun Karna. Um, so there are also national security risks because like say if you take Tarun Karna, he is a visiting professor at uh, the China Business School with Europe. It's called something. There's a there's a business school that China has in Europe, which a joint partnership in Europe. And Tarun Kana, uh, he is at Harvard. He's also part of that business school. Plus, he is a uh, an advisor to the Niti Aayog. So these are all connections that one should look at from a national security. Yeah. So there are uh, so there are many many problems. You know, it's it's a cesspool of of problems. That uh, so if you read the book and the book can be read in uh, although it's a large book, you can just pick it up from anywhere and read. Uh, so you'll get an idea as to how how bad this problem is, even if it doesn't affect you individually right now. It's bound to affect your children, um, and it's bound to affect uh, you know your work life in some way. A uh, follow-up question on that one, a quick one would be, who is the ultimate beneficiary of this whole left gamut? Like, where is this coming from? Is this China? Is this some globalist? So, so what we try to show in the last chapter is the globalist. Uh, I think there is, um, so the in the name of climate change, um, a lot is happening. I think they're very concerned about uh, the huge population of the world. So one way to do it is to dismantle existing structures, redistribute your wealth and my wealth to the masses so that the masses don't have an uprising uh, while they remain uh, the oligarchs that control everything. So essentially there's a redistribution. So the, all what critical race theory, critical caste theory, anti-meritocracy all does is essentially take the resources from people who've worked hard 
who are not yet at the globalist level like gates but who are you know doing well in society to take their wealth redistribute it to people uh, who are down below who have not who are essentially the activists that they are using and uh, and shush them down and then so there'll be a new world order you know so that's what the wf calls the great reset uh, you know so when you hear all these terms right the great reset sustainability uh, dei esg uh, climate change um, these are all loaded words uh, which are trying to bring in a new world order which which essentially is a redistribution of uh, wealth resources everything from uh, and and sort of equalize it uh, along uh, with the masses i think that's where it's all headed i want it to be addressed that are we doing a mistake or is there a alternative pathway than that of a direct fight which is more elegant more ergonomic and more efficient can i just quickly say that um, yes. there are lots of things we can do to stop this uh, this for, for example we can stop spending taxpayer money to train our people we can stop for uh, foreign liberal arts schools to come through with the new uh, the national education policy uh, we can stop the data mining there's just so much data mining if you look at the book there's huge data mining of indian polity by ashoka university all these people they, and kriya university just tons and tons 2000 villages of tamil nadu i mean data is being mined from india and we can stop it there is a seed database that's bill gates is trying to uh, mine out of india so all these things we can stop right now even if we don't do anything else we can stop some things which we are not doing yeah we're going to come up with a new book uh, which sort of gives uh, more to this whole iit issue as to how this whole um, uh, scholarship has been systematically done uh what are the foreign agencies that are involved like for for example not many would know that the french government is hugely involved in dismantling engineering education in india yeah wow uh, the french no ministry of external affairs has actually put in money and actually harvard comes and hijacks their scholarship and then flies with it uh you know there's a little tough war you know amongst them and then and then you also have this whole idea of where is all this go heading right so we you know we, we, as you look at in the future scholarship you look at sustainability and how um, uh, the researchers in all these stem education institutions are going to be told by social scientists as to what and how they should direct their scientific investigations so social sciences like these you know these uh, woke guys are going are not only entered corporate in terms of dei they're going to enter high education you know high uh, higher education institutions like the iit and direct stem uh, yes. research so this is where it's all heading so it's going to affect all of us sooner or later we it's going it's going it's coming into uh, uh, schools many of you don't know what is being taught especially in america in your schools um and uh, you know there's a lot in name of social and emotional learning do you know how your six kids are getting sexualized without your knowledge uh, so these are all coming to your homes so if you don't yeah. take action right this one thing might pass iit you might look the other way but it's all coming to your homes sooner than later so uh, this i can assure you thank you so i think yeah. uh, we just have only a couple more minutes so uh, if you can wrap this up and vijay ji if you can give some closing comments any suggestions anything you want to tell us no thank you all I'll... for taking so much time to listen you know to listen to this because uh, you know people look at some of this as something that's not really relevant uh, to the immediate uh, you know day or weeks ahead but uh, thank you so much for you know you guys are all uh, quite aware of what's going on but even then uh, some of these things happen to be fringe so uh, on behalf of rajiv ji and myself i want to thank you all for taking the time to listen to us and uh, and help spread the word to uh, to whatever 
extent you can at the end of the day you know um, it's each one of us we'll continue to do what we uh, you know i told atul yesterday too that we'll continue to do what we do and you guys you know can continue to do what you do but um, if there is some kind of uh, intersection between that that would be great otherwise all the very best to you as well Thank before you. you part we should make a community on this instead of just listening today and just disperse i think we should build this up from here this is a foundation there's more lot more to learn a lot more to learn from each other as well so i would request mohanji and everybody here to build a community here there's a whatsapp link i sent in this chat click that you can join some of the groups that we have and then we can converse further uh, and and build different topics instead have a follow up session or two um ideation smaller uh, goshtis if, if uh, applicable so we can ideate in smaller groups and we're going to do that in a few at least uh, so let's do that and let's build up to reach out to this great two people who have written great stuff uh, this is modern day krishna modern day ganga no gita essentially this is guide guidance to how to navigate our waters in the upcoming years so you know we cannot thank enough uh, to both these great people who have written this great book and the great work they put their own money also on this so let's let's do what we can do <laughs>